Hello and welcome to another episode of Successful Albanians. Today I've got the honor of welcoming Dr. Ornella Darda. Dr. Ornella, you are a senior lecturer in computing science at University of Glasgow. You are renowned for your work in programming language foundations. Your seminal research titled Session Types Revisited has earned multiple awards and influenced researchers globally. You hold the role of programming language languages theme lead at your university. You represent Glasgow at the Scottish Programming Languages Institute. And you are a key figure in European research networks and you maintain collaborations with Italian institutions. So a pretty long CV. Before we dive into your academic background and achievements and what you do in your day-to-day as a senior lecturer at university. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background? Of course. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invite. I really appreciate it. I think this is really a wonderful opportunity and kudos to actually doing this this podcast. So, okay, about my background, I'll start from the beginning. I'm Albanian. I was born and raised in uh, Berat. And afterwards, after my high school, uh, I left, went to Rome, uh, where I studied computing science. And after that, in Bologna, where I did my PhD. And afterwards, came to Glasgow for a postdoc. It's been almost 10 years now that I live and work in uh, in Glasgow and from postdoc I became a lecturer and now a senior lecturer and my background is roughly all in sciences all in in computer science and the theoretical parts of it Uh, so more mathy type of computer science yeah I think you must be the third person that I've had on the podcast that's from Berat so I don't know what's going on in that part of the world, but you guys seem to be doing Albanians pretty proud. Nice. That's good yeah. to know. So how did you go from Albania to Rome? What was your experience like learning about computer science in Albania and what attracted you to this field? Uh, when I was in high school, I, I don't know if that is the case still, but... Uh, For my generation, the Albanian government had a deal with the Italian one where a lot of students from high school were then going to Italy and studying. And I remember there was quite a a huge number of uh, students leaving uh, Albania and studying in in Italy. Remember when I was there that I had several friends that were from all around uh, Albania Quite, quite a large percentage of, of the students. So that was an opportunity that was presented to me. And as such, I, I took it. I wanted to, to study abroad. And I chose Rome because that was the place that I actually had connections. I had someone that could, could host me for, for the beginning. So there wasn't any, any special reason for Rome. But, of course, uh, I was... Lucky that at the same time, the university, Sapienza University, is one of the best universities in, in Rome, in, uh, in Italy. So that didn't go too, too bad. And my experience with computing science in Albania, I did study programming in high school. I took a private course where I learned my first programming language, uh, which is Pascal, quite an old language now. Not many people use it. Um, 
to, to date. Yeah. And I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best, best experiences that I had in, uh, in high school. One of the topics that I enjoyed the most. Of course, it wasn't part of the curriculum at, uh, in, in high school. It, it was a private course. This was a textbook that was used at universities in Tirana for informatics. So that's how I discovered programming. And since then I said, okay, that's what I want to do. When I grow up, I want to become a computer scientist. And I went on to study computer science in, in Italy. Yeah, I guess you could say you've done pretty well in that field from the point of discovering your passion. Now you are a senior lecturer at University of Glasgow, as we've mentioned earlier. And what made you choose Glasgow as a, as a place to continue with your postdoc research? I was doing my PhD in Bologna uh, at the time when I saw an advertisement, a call uh, for a postdoc position. So this is a position that, a research position that you uh, pursue after your PhD. And this call was for a project that perfectly aligned with what I was doing during my, my PhD with what I had done during my PhD. And it felt like a natural continuation of, uh, of my work and aligned with my interest. Uh, as such, I, I applied for the job, which happened to, to be in Glasgow. I had never been to Glasgow before. Uh, as you know, for us Albanians, it's trickier to, to come to the UK because we need, we need visas and, uh, and all that. So I, I had never visited before. And in fact, the job interview was via Skype back then. And I got the job and afterwards I just moved here. So I actually chose the job which happened then to be in, in Glasgow. And when I moved here, yeah, I didn't really know how Glasgow looked like. So the day I landed in Glasgow, I knew that I was going to be here for at least two years because that was the original contract without knowing if I would have liked the, the city at all. And well, now it's been 10 years that I'm living here. So I do like it. It's very brave choosing a place to live without actually visiting first. And the University of Glasgow looks a lot like Hogwarts. So it looks quite beautiful and, and historic. So I'm sure that has a part to play in keeping you there 10 years later. Well, I remember when I was looking at, at the job, I was very excited about the job, but didn't know anything about Glasgow. So then I went on Google Maps and uh, was looking the streets of, of Glasgow, all of which you know, it looked very gloomy because, well, there's a lot of rain here. And I had a moment of panic thinking, oh my God, I'm going to end up in a town that is, well, after living in Rome and Bologna, and I also lived in Copenhagen for one year, thought this is really the, the worst will happen. And a good friend of mine back then said, well, I mean, you lived in Rome, but it's not that every day we were going to the Colosseum. So at the end of the day, it's not really the town that will make your life and in fact Glasgow might not be beautiful compared to other other towns but people are absolutely lovely and the slogan in Glasgow is people make Glasgow so yeah it's not the gloomy weather but um, life here it's, it's really nice and that is I think what kept me here for so long. Yeah, I can believe that. I think I've come across a few Glaswegians, if that's the right phrase for people from Glasgow. And mm -hmm. they're very jolly, very chirpy. They're very normally a good laugh and very friendly. So I can absolutely believe that. And I hear what you're saying. Shall we talk a bit about 
computer science. So what is it? Give us a bit of a background and bear in mind, I'm not an expert here, so please keep it simple from my simplistic mind. Okay. As you would expect, it's really uh, broad, but I think what it is, it's already given in the, in the title. So computer science or computing science, it's really the science of computing, of computation. So everything that you imagine uh, will have a procedure, uh, an algorithm, and the analysis and the science behind it, that's, at the end of the day, uh, part of, of computing science. And it's not as strictly related to computers as we think it is. So not everything in computer science is strictly related to a machine. Obviously, for computation, you do need a machine for it to, to be executed, right, to be performed. Uh, but the study, the science behind it, it's, it's broader. So very well can be done in pen and paper, which is, for example, what, uh, what I do very often. Theoretical. Correct, yeah, theoretical computer yeah. science. As a small anecdote here, a few years back, my sisters uh, gifted me a T-shirt which writes, no, I will not fix your computer. And that is perfect for a computer scientist because often when you say to someone that I'm a computer scientist, then the first answer that you get is, oh, then you can fix my computer or you can fix my printer. Very often I cannot really because I'm not a, a technician. Uh, and that's to say that the general population has the idea that the computer scientist is yeah, strictly related to a computer. And that they were, will be able to be hands-on on on a, on a computer. And as for the different areas in computer science, I mean, they, they are broad. Theoretical computer science is, is one of them. Uh, nowadays, we, we know very much of uh, machine learning and AI, but also softer areas like human-computer interaction. Nowadays, even animal-computer interaction is, is an area that is very becoming very popular. So it spans across different, different fields that all have to do with computation at the end of the day. Okay. okay. And where do you mostly specialize in? My expertise is in, um, so the broader uh, area is theoretical computer science, but more precisely, com uh, programming languages, formal verification of, of programs, and uh, here in particular, what are called in my area session types, which is a type of uh, formal verification. And this is for concurrent and distributed systems, which we can, we can talk more about uh, if you'd like. Yeah, please, if you could, yeah, just give us a bit of a flavor for them. So concurrent uh, and distributed systems, the name sounds a bit too, too technical, but at the end of the day, we all use them uh, at a regular basis. So an example of a, of a concurrent uh, system, typical one, would be, say, for example, when two or more people are trying to get tickets to, to a concert, right? These are different agents residing in different computers, different machines, because, well, people are spread all around, and they are competing for the same the same batch of, of tickets. So you do need in place a concurrent uh, concurrent system for that. This can happen also in a single machine, a single computer, that you have processes within a computer that 
cooperate and communicate with each other in order to achieve uh, a goal. And as such, we, we say they are running concurrently. Now, when these agents are located in different machines around the world, which is a typical example, then that's called a distributed, uh, a distributed system. So these are the systems uh, that I am interested in and are the, nowadays the most common systems we, we find. It's, uh, these are systems that our whole society is, is relying on. You can think here of IoT devices. You could think of uh, social media, telecommunication networks. All of these are examples of distributed systems. And my research is in a verification of such systems, which means I design and develop methods to make sure that these systems behave in a correct and sound manner so that we don't have you know, systems uh, crashing. Or if that happens, then we have in place mechanisms for them to, to come back alive and to, to recover. Okay, so you are one of the heroes in the background that keeps everything ticking then. Is that a fair way of describing it? Well, I'm hoping sort of more down the line uh, because in academia, I mean, research is, is always um, ongoing, progressing, and often we do have prototypes and proof of concepts, uh, which don't necessarily mean that they are implemented uh, directly. Yeah. So you first do the research and then you see down, down the line how this can be implemented and brought into the real system. So to answer your, your question, to say it differently, I hope to be in the future the hero. Yeah. So I'm working towards it. <laughs> right. You have got your own lab at your university. It's called Concurrency Lab. So what does a typical regular day's work look like for you as a senior lecturer running your lab? Okay. So... Concurrency Lab and Concurrency here, the name is uh, because of concurrency in computing science, what we just uh, uh, discussed. Not that they are, uh, you know, in, in competition or, or anything with, uh, with each other. To, so that's not the, the idea. So this is a lab of PhD students and in the future postdocs, of which I am the supervisor, so the the advising person, and they all have their own PhD topics that are very much related to what I am doing. Hence, it makes sense that I am their, their supervisor. And how a typical day looks like for me is most of the time trying to balance research and uh, the other aspects of being an academic, which are teaching and supervision and admin work. So I try to dedicate time, hopefully, when, when I manage every day to research. And this is in the form of research with my students or research that I might have with other collaborations in uh, within my university or outside the university, so with other colleagues. Then I have meetings with, with my students. These are once per week meetings with my PhD students. They're not every day. Once per week, then I have meetings with my undergrad or master students. And at Glasgow Uni, we often have quite a large number of uh, master students. So only this, this summer, for example, I had eight 
students to, to supervise. Then there is the teaching. I do teach two courses. Uh, one is theory of computation, uh, and that's a theoretical course on models of computation. And the other one is programming languages. And each of the courses is three hours per week. I teach both of them in the, in the second semester. So at present, I'm the freest I can possibly be. <laughs> That's why you found time for me. Exactly, yes. Um, and I can, um, yeah, and I do teach uh, these two, two courses three hours uh, per, per week. Then I have other admin tasks. For example, I am a member of the research student committee, which means I revise scholarships, uh, applications, or I convene VIVAs and annual progression reviews that the PhD students go through, and a load of other smaller tasks within, uh, within the school. Okay, so it's not a repetitive job then, as one might perhaps think of a lecturer's work might entail. So if you think of a teacher, for example, in school, they're doing the same thing pretty much day in, day out. But it sounds like, you know, your 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 work or your weeks rather not two days are similar because you're constantly doing different things and always getting involved with a variety of tasks which i guess can be quite interesting yes absolutely and the other thing is that as you progress so what i've seen so far from phd to postdoc lecturer and now senior lecturer also the nature of the job changes quite a bit and it feels Somehow that by the time you got the hang of your job, maybe you, you're promoted to, uh, to a higher level and a whole set of, of new responsibilities comes, comes to you that you have to deal with. So definitely you don't get bored and you don't feel you're stagnating because you have, as you progress, you have newer uh, challenges to, to deal with, which helps you grow as well. Uh, professionally, but to some extent also personally because of the skills that uh, that you learn to be a, a better leader in organizing uh, activities, uh, managing meetings, uh, presentations, all, all the interpersonal skills that you, you can imagine. I've always wondered who decides or what is the process for deciding in science, I guess generally, but I guess you could answer this question. So how is it decided where to spend time, energy, finances in doing a particular research? Okay, so that's, a, that's a wonderful question. I think there are two sides to that, uh, to that question. Or rather, I can give you two answers depending on who is, is answering. So if, if you think of the researcher themselves, then uh, to some extent they, they decide what, what they want to, to work on. For example, how I decided what to, to work on was after investigating the state of the art uh, during my PhD, I landed on this topic because I thought it was beneficial for society and I really loved it. Uh, other people might just per pursue something because they they like it. If you think of research, for example, in, in math, sometimes to, to a human being, it, it feels a bit uh, too abstract and we don't understand what actually the benefit could be. 
only to maybe see it years later, uh, that that very abstract thing in math actually has impact in, in society. And sometimes people just are, are driven by their passion and their, their interests. If you were to answer this as a funding body, for example, they are, of course, more concerned about economic and societal uh, impact. And they are investing money, as in funding, into mm -hmm. research areas that they do see have an immediate impact on, on yeah, economics, uh, society, uh, policymaking, uh, etc. And I think the sweet spot here might be, as a researcher, if one finds, uh, works on something that has an impact and also is, is passionate about. And I believe, or I like to believe, that in my case, I have found that, that what I'm working on has an impact, a real impact, but also I'm lucky enough that I, I love it and it's exactly what I want to do. What are the challenges of merging academic research with the industry, the commercial applications and policy making that goes with that? Mm -hmm. The first answer I would give to that, and this has happened with uh, several academic partners that I have um, I've collaborated with and I'm currently collaborating with, the very first one would be language. Uh, so sometimes an academic and a person from industry, they, they seem to be speaking in completely different uh, terminology. And uh, I, I often find that the first couple of meetings with industry are a bit rough, at the very least from, from that angle. But I think that's, that's something that you can easily uh, get over and move on onto the concrete work. The main thing I find that often academia and industry have different agendas. In academia, for example, we are not driven by the same deadlines as in industry. For example, when it comes to research, well, sometimes that can take quite a while and very often you might find the impact of a research that you're doing, even more so if it is theoretical, quite down the line, maybe in 5, 10, 15 years. And this is a timeline that often is not very agreeable in industry. So they are a bit more, a bit, and they have stricter, uh, stricter deadlines. Uh, and I find that often maybe industry is driven by putting out a product as, as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, so there is a tiny bit of, of a gap there. I think maybe the main challenge is, is that in trying to, to keep up to, to their pace. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me that the private sector is constantly having done something, you know, yesterday, whereas academic research takes its time and does things in its own pace, ensures you get the right results. And if it doesn't work, just keep trying. Yeah, I don't know how then academics are viewed from the industrial uh, angle. And if we're viewed as, okay, we're taking far too long time to, to produce that. Maybe from the academic angle, you might think that, okay, things are moving far too fast 
uh, in the industrial setting because sometimes you know to do something of really high quality and good value well you you might need time yeah i always say you know you want something done fast or do you want it done well yes you can't have both yes so what is the process then for actually publishing a paper or a journal yes there are two categories there a paper published at a conference and a paper or an article published at a journal. Right. Um, a conference normally is a venue where you go and present your work. So there is a, a gathering of, of people. Each of the published papers, one of the authors will, will present this, uh, this published paper. And it's also an opportunity for um, interaction and further collaboration within the community. Whether a journal article... It's an article that, well, you publish into a scientific journal and you'll just have that in, in, in the journal and that's it. There's no presentation or, or anything. And depending on the, on the discipline, journals or conferences might be the highlight. In computing science in particular, conferences are regarded uh, as, don't to say more important, but the first venue that you attempt a publication. Now, what is the process of publishing? Well, it goes in different stages. The very first one would be research, where you are um, defining, designing, developing your, your methods, your, your work at the end of the day. And once you have a bit of, of material, then you start the writing process so you will write this work into a scientific uh, paper. And often the research and writing sort of go hand in hand and they help each other. So it's not a sequential uh, sequential process, really. So it's rather you do the, this in parallel. And once you have a paper written, then you submit this to a conference or a journal the difference between the two is that a conference has strict deadlines during the year, whether journals you can submit any time. And afterwards, your paper will be reviewed, what's called peer reviewing, by other colleagues in, in the community. And this is all anonymous. Uh, normally, it is, other, it is three reviewers that review your, your paper. And if they deem it to be of good quality, and worthy of publication, then they accept it for publication. Otherwise, they reject it, giving you feedback as to what you can improve and why they rejected it. And then you can reattempt another round. Uh, if it is accepted for publication, then it will be published in uh, proceedings of a conference or in the journal that you that you chose. And there you go. You have um, another paper in your CV. <laughs> Yeah, I bet it must feel absolutely rewarding at the very end when you actually have been through all that, all of that hard work, and then it's eventually recognized by your peers, and you get cited. I imagine in in the future going forward. Yes, absolutely. And uh, in my case, I really enjoy the whole the whole process, and I'm I'm very fond of uh, of writing actually research papers. It's quite an interesting activity presenting your work, writing a good introduction, 
showing the technical aspects in a uh, in a clear and comprehensive way. It's it's a really enjoyable process uh, writing a paper. Now you've won many awards, haven't you, for your work? So I think the most recent one is from titled Science, she says, and it's awarded by the Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation. How did that award come about? This award, the Science, she says, uh, as you mentioned, was given by Farnesina, the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, and it was awarded to a young female scientist who has achieved uh, outstanding contributions in science, technology, or innovation, uh, and has connections with Italy. Hence, it was given uh, by the Italian government. And I applied for this award, presenting my work up to date. Uh, you mentioned it at the beginning, uh, Session Types Revisited, uh, my main work of, uh, of my PhD. And I showcased my contribution to the, my collaborations with the Italian community to date. And I got, I won the award for Europe. There were five regions that the award was given to, so to five female scientists, and I won it for Europe. Well done. Congratulations. Making Albanians proud. Thank you. (laughs) I think that's raised your profile as well amongst the Albanian community. I've seen you've done a couple of interviews or maybe more than two with the Albanian media outlets. Yes, I have. Right after the the award, the news got spread in Albania and I had four interviews with different Albanian televisions. Uh, some of the interviews were in morning shows, others were in more mainstream evening programs. I had one interview with a channel in Kosovo, which was was very nice as well. Uh, and they ranged yeah, between 10 uh, minutes to, to 30 minutes where they were asking me about the award and my, my life and my career in general. Quite challenging uh, interviews because they were all live, really. Mm-hmm. And they were all in Albanian. I am not as comfortable with as I used to be since I've left Albania for uh, 18, 19 years now. But they were absolutely lovely and they were all very well received. It was really heartwarming to see all the positive comments on on Facebook. Um, And especially in my hometown, uh, the award was advertised quite broadly on social media. And I read all the the messages on, on Facebook from well, people, yeah, citizens of, uh, of Berat and all the compliments and congratulations. And it was, it was really, really beautiful to see all that, all that love and support that, um, that they transmitted. That's really sweet. It's probably a rarity for social media spreading a positive message. Normally it's negativity that you see on there. So uh, I'm sure you enjoyed that recognition. Yeah, exactly. And often we also have a bit this this attitude, us Albanians, towards Albanians that, oh, yeah, we, we're a bit, sometimes we're a bit cold or we're not as um, as easy to compliment each other and to care for, for each other. We have a bit this, this feeling that sometimes we, we tend to be a bit selfish. 
And this was exactly the, the opposite. You, you, could, you could see how genuine and totally selfless the, the comments were. So very, very pleased, not only per, at the personal level, obviously. I mean, it, it was nice to see these messages, but also with the attitude of, uh, of the community. Yeah, that they are, they're ready there to compliment you and to support you. And they, they're happy for your success, which is really beautiful. Yeah, hopefully it didn't go to your head. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe this additional tension has has it tempted you or made you think about uh, moving away from academic research and into the industry or into a particular commercial area? I have thought about it from time to time, but it has never tempted me so much to actually take action. And in fact, my whole career, I've done it in academia. For one, I think definitely the pay would be better if I were to move to industry, but it's not the main motivation for me. And I feel I, I'm not done with, with academia. I still have, have things I want to say, as in things I want to research, uh, further contributions I want, to, I want to make. So I feel, yeah, moving now, would be a bit premature. I don't know if it, it will happen in the future. Who knows? It might. Uh, but not at, at this stage. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And uh, I think I can still contribute. Uh, hence, I'll continue for a while. Okay, that's really refreshing to hear that you're uh, quite committed to your to your mission, for lack of a better phrase. And you want to you see that through till, uh, till the end and until you're satisfied that you've done all you can in your academic field. So what would you say is your long-term ambition and what are you trying to achieve from your academic career? What I would like to achieve is concrete impact. As I mentioned earlier, um, especially in theoretical computer science, you might not see impact right away because sometimes it's difficult to translate a theory, a pure theoretical work onto an implementation. Yeah, there, there are gaps in between that need to be filled, uh, filled some, somehow. And sometimes this translation might not be the ideal one that actually would be a, a really good working uh, implementation. You know, it might be a, a prototype, for example. So what I would like to achieve is real impact. And for this, it might take a few, a few years. So I would like for my work to be completely adopted and integrated in large-scale distributed systems. And this is why, as I said, I don't feel I've said it all yet in in academia, and I don't want to be satisfied only with the research part of it and only with the theoretical aspect of of it, even though that very well can be something that in all effects, is work in computer science. But I want to see that embodied in in the real world. It takes a, sp- a special type of patience to have a long-term vision like yourself, as you've just described, and and stick with it and avoid any temptations from sort of quick gratifications of you know being tempted away by um, higher salaries from the commercial industry, but rather sticking to the more fulfilling side of your career, which is uh, remaining in academia and continuing with your further research until you 
you get to where you want to be. So good on you. And, uh, and I wish you the, the very best of luck in, in your pursuit. But what do you do outside of, outside of your work? What are your hobbies? Okay, my main activities outside work are yoga and meditation. I'm not sure if I should call them really hobbies because to me, at this stage, they are really a lifestyle. I practice a lot of yoga during the week and I'm also a qualified, certified uh, level one yoga teacher. So I also teach yoga. Uh, I do that once once per week, despite my students uh, asking for more classes. But I have a full time job during the day, so I can't I can't spare more more time. And I think that also aligns a bit with my day work because I I do teach computing science, and during the day often uh, then during the night I, I teach yoga and I think teaching in general it's something that I very much uh, very much enjoy and surprisingly the two teachings even though they in appearance they have absolutely nothing to do with each other obviously they have helped me to be a better teacher you know cross uh, cross discipline there I meditate and that's why I I'm saying it's not a hobby but rather a lifestyle because I do that every day and to me it's at the same level as really brushing your teeth um, so it's part of my daily daily routine i like to walk a lot i used to be a runner a few years back i was very committed i was doing races and uh, despite the the horrible weather in, in uh, glasgow was, was still out there um, four times per week running but i sort of fell off fell out of love with running but i still walk a lot i often walk to work for example which takes me about an hour of uh, of walking and yeah that's a that's maybe a hobby and an activity that i really enjoy outside outside work and it's an opportunity to also listen to podcasts like uh, successful albanians or others <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. You've just basically described all the things that I've been meaning to do, but I never get around to doing it. You know, I always mean to go running. I just can't be bothered. I always mean to meditate and it's always, I'll do it next week. I always mean to do yoga, but I can't seem to find the time. So I th you've probably inspired me to at least try one of those things or, or just, just do it rather than contemplate doing it. I can give you some, uh, some tips offline is how to, to get cracking on each of those. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ornella, for joining me on the podcast today to discuss your background, your academic work, your achievements, and you know, providing us with an insight into the world of programming languages and computer science in general. Gave us a glimpse into your extraordinary journey into the world of computer science. And it's been an ab absolute pleasure uh, meeting you and uh, please do stay in touch thank you very much Ergin it was a real pleasure for me as well and definitely we will keep in touch thank you